morning, saints. How are you? There's always new life at new life, right? I, I was uh, sharing with someone yesterday. I've been, I've been knowing folks around here since soon after the church was started. Where's, where are Glenn and Marilyn? Um, Glenn and Barbara. There they are. Uh, what, an, what an amazing thing God did with these farm boys, right? They started out to just farm the land and found out that there was another kind of harvest to get. And what a joy now to be joining with Pastor Dave and Denise as well as we continue in the things of God. And I congratulate all of you. Anytime you've completed any course, you get congratulations. And guess what is the reward for running one race and winning it? You get another race to run, longer and harder. Anytime you pass a test, that qualifies you to go on to get a harder test at a higher level. So here we are, the beginning of a new phase for you, having come through this particular course. And it's my pleasure to be with you. I invite everybody to participate in the service today. Don't take anything for granted, and don't be a spectator. Be a participant. When we begin to minister to these individuals, you go into your um, involvement in prayer and releasing the blessing of the Lord, releasing the word of the Lord. What we really want is for Jesus to give him a piece of his mind today. You know? The great, great, infinite mind of God that absolutely knows everything about you from before the foundation of the world. It's wonderful we find in the scripture where God ordained Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, but from his mother's womb. And we even hear about Saul of Tarsus, that while he was in his mother's womb, it pleased God to set him apart and sanctify him. But then Paul writes to us when it really happened. It didn't happen at conception or after conception. It actually happened before the foundation of the world that he ordained us. He chose us to be adopted, to become sons of God. And that, that word for sons means mature children, though it is in the masculine. It actually refers to all of us that we have been chosen to become not just the babies, there are Greek words for different stages of life. There's a Greek word for the infant, and that talks about Jesus when he was an infant. And then there, there are different levels. There's one that is a word that just means babbling and talking nonsense. That is, babies when they're just learning to talk. And then there are words for babies that are learning to walk. And then there's the word technon for children that are being discipled and taught and trained, and they're under teachers and tutors and governors. And then there comes a time when they're declared mature children, sons, heirs, coming into everything that the Father has planned for them and participating in overseeing the inheritance and taking part in the estate of the Father and uh, taking responsibility. And so those are levels of growth that we go through spiritually as well. So at whatever age or stage you are in life, and I do see there is a difference here from young to a little older to a little older, but we all start as babies in the kingdom. We all start as toddlers, babblers. 
We don't know the language of the kingdom. We hear people talking words like sanctification and, and even consecration and confirmation and all those shun words. And we don't know what all of those things mean when we start. But we learn the language of the kingdom. We learn the language of the scripture. Then we find ourselves one day teaching others also. And it's going through those processes. So I congratulate you for where you are now in this process and learning. So I'm supposed to give you a short message which calls for a special anointing. And uh, then we do prophetic ministry. Let me first of all say I have with me uh, one of my uh, helpers, Tess Watson, who is our coordinator for our ministry and our, our administrative assistant. And uh, Tess also brought along some books. Uh, they're mostly Bob Sorge books. If you uh, know Bob Sorge, they're out there. And we have, may I invite you ladies to our Watson retreat this year, and you can pick up one of these cards to put on your mirror to remind you. The theme this year is Friendship with Jesus. And as from the very beginning in 19, I think 1981, when we started this conference, we're going to have the very well-known worship leaders called Landis, the Landis sisters, I call them. Marilyn and Barbara have been with us from the beginning, and I invite you to come. Friendship with Jesus is the theme. And I know that there are some in this place that are intercessors for our ministry, and I want to thank you personally for all of your prayers for me. I've been through some things, been through some things lately, but our intercessors pray us through. And then the next thing is we're taking Marilyn and Arlen. We took them away from you this year. I haven't heard yet whether they're going with us, but we're, we're open to taking some other folks to Africa with us in January. And uh, they would be able to tell you about that. So we're here recruiting a little bit, too. But we, we appreciate the, any interaction with the folks of this congregation and your leadership. And now I'm going to preach. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 9. And I want to use Saul of Tarsus as an example of somebody who, though in natural life, he had already reached maturity. He was into his 30s, likely, because he was, it is considered that he was probably on the Sanhedrin, and uh, that meant uh, he must be over 30. Uh, 30 is the mark at which a man comes into uh, the prime of life and maturity, it's considered. But at the time that he is seen in Acts chapter 7, uh, for the first time, it is said that they, they laid their garments when they were stoning Stephen, they laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he's young, but he's old enough to be in leadership and authority and to be given authority by the Sanhedrin and by the chief priests, etc. By chapter 9, he is going after the believers. He is pursuing. The word that relates directly to pursuing is persecuting. Persecute is a word that means to follow. Secute is sequor, secutus sequence, all of that, means to follow after, to chase after, to pursue. And the word pair, persecute, means all the way through. So to persecute is to chase something all the way through. And he was going into the homes of people and dragging them out of their closets where they were hiding and taking them to prison. He was totally 100% committed to 
wiping out the name of Jesus and of Christians as well. And that's his total zeal in one direction. In chapter 9 of Acts, he's going with authority given to him from the priests to do that in Damascus of Syria. Now, that's the same Syria that's in the news continually right now. It's the very same Syria. He was trying to wipe out the name of Jesus. That has never stopped in that area. It is very real today. But in, in, in his day, when he was going without authority, in the day that he was going, on a certain day, something happened and changed his life, changed his purpose, changed his person, changed his pursuit. And this will be the same one who in Philippians chapter 3 says, forgetting everything that is behind and reaching forth to that which is before me, I press toward the mark for the prize of the calling up in Christ Jesus. High calling, we think that must mean being in ministry. No, it means I get the resurrection that takes me to be in his presence forever. That's my prize. Jesus is the reward. Pursuit changed. And here, there are three questions that I want to pull out of this chapter and refer to. Because they are the chapters that will guarantee you get into the right pursuit. When he was pursuing Christians, he met Jesus when a light shined from heaven. And it was such a light, in another chapter he will refer to the glory of that light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he will refer to it this way, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How could he talk about it? It landed him. It stopped him in his tracks. It was the laser beam of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus looked down on him from heaven, just as he has done for you. And that light stopped him in his tracks. I I said one time it knocked him off his high horse, and some theologically sound person came to me afterward and said, how can you say he was knocked off his horse? The Bible doesn't say he was riding a horse. I said, well, I was really talking figuratively, but... I also can't imagine that he was walking because he had such a pursuit and he had authority. And usually when they had authority, they had soldiers with them too. And I can't imagine that he didn't have a horse if there was a horse available because he was going full speed to catch those Christians as fast as he could. And so if he wasn't riding on a horse, okay. But he got knocked off his high horse onto the ground And the first word out of his mouth was who. And I give you that question today, and I ask you, don't ever stop asking it. Who are you? This light, this glory, this personhood that could overwhelm him with presence and with light from heaven. Light, of course, represents truth, revelation, understanding. And when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ on a personal level, 
you come out of understanding in ways you can't just understand when somebody just teaches you about him. And so I ask you, ask it. Who are you? And what's amazing is as soon as he asked the question, he got the answer. Because the end of it is, who are you, Lord? And as soon as you ask him, he begins to reveal himself to you. So the first question, and don't ever stop asking it, who are you? I think Paul never stopped asking it. You get into his epistles, and and the first part of almost every epistle, all he can do is talk about who Jesus is and who you are because of who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus and who you are because of Jesus and who you are for Jesus now. You are forever marked by Jesus. In days like this, what we want more than anything is a fresh revelation of Jesus. And then, even through the prophetic, there'll be revelations of him, but then to let you know he knows you. Second question Paul asked, because Jesus answered simply, uh, well, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting, which tells you Jesus' relationship with the church. Because Paul wasn't pursuing Jesus. He wasn't chasing Jesus. He was chasing Christians. And Jesus said, when you were chasing them, you were chasing me. So I thought you'd like to meet me since you're after me. Now you know who it is you've been chasing after. How many of you in this place literally thought you were running away from Jesus and you were really seeking for Jesus? And he finally said, I'm the one you're chasing. But you just didn't know you were chasing me. And that's how he reveals himself. He's more interested in your knowing him than you are interested in his knowing you. He wants you to know him. And so as soon as he had told him who he is, he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He said, "Uh, in fact, it's awfully hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, the word prick for us tends to suggest a little needle or a tiny little thorn. But the word for a prick here is actually the word for an ox goad. Goading an ox. And it was a big stick sharpened in a pencil sharpener until it was such a a tiny, tiny point that it could penetrate the thick skin of an ox. How's that for sharp? It had to get through the thick skin of an ox. And, and Jesus says, you're an ox. I recognize your strength, Saul. I recognize your power, but I also recognize your stubbornness. And I just want you to know that I have designed a prick that can penetrate your thick skin. But he also tells us what Saul has been doing, that every time the prick hit him, Saul, like a stupid ox, kicked against it. Now, how smart is that? Here's a a fine point that is going to hurt you. It's going to penetrate your skin. And Saul says, you're not going to hurt me. You're not getting me. So he kicks against the prick. And Jesus says, that's been tough, hasn't it? It's been kind of difficult. I think the first big prick was when Stephen looked up into heaven and said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And then he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he said, Lord Jesus, forgive them, 
<laughs> don't lay this sin to their charge. And, the, and he went on to heaven, and the next verse says that Saul started to make havoc of the church. He didn't like the prick that hit him. Now, here's what we want. We want our lives to be so penetrated by the truth of the gospel that one day we'll be using the ox goad to prick the skin of others, talking about Jesus. Once we kicked against him, maybe, but now we're saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So who are you? Second question then, what will you have me to do? Okay, I'd like you to ask the question on the front row especially. May I hear from you? What will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? And it is a will word. What is your will? But we can also make it a want word. What do you want me to do? Now, if you keep these questions in this order, everything will work right. It's all about who and then what. Don't get so concerned about the will of God for you as you are of the who of God. And if you follow the who, you'll know the will, the what. What will you have me to do? And immediately, Jesus gave him instructions for the now. And this is what is important in getting the guidance of God in your life. Get it in the now. So here were the instructions to this powerful man. Jesus said, well, the first thing is, get up. Oh, you mean I can't stay right here? No, arise. And whenever Jesus begins to give you instructions, he will give you an arise. Resurrection starts working in your life the minute Jesus speaks to you. And if he says arise, guess what? He puts the arise in you. If he says get up, he puts the get up. And the next thing is go. It's a get up and go. Well, now I'm not talking about houses, uh, horses anymore, but horses get up and go. And you get the get up and go straight from Jesus. And he says, get up and go into the city. Not a long journey. Paul eventually, he will become known as Paul by the Gentiles. Some think Paul is his Christian name. Do you know Paul is not his Christian name? Do you know it's his pagan name? It's the Greek and Roman word for Saul, which is his Jewish name. And it isn't because he came a, became a Christian. It's because he went among the Gentiles. Just like when I go to Uganda, my name is no longer Sylvia. It is now Silvia. Because they pronounce my name the way they would pronounce it. So Paul will talk, uh, will, will walk this walk right here a short distance eventually we will go around the then-known world or to many parts of the then-known world. But for now, it's a short distance. Go into the city and then hear the words, and it shall be told you what you shall do. And then it says, verse 8, that Saul arose from the earth or from the ground, and when his eyes were opened... He couldn't see any person, and so they had to lead him by the hand and bring him into Damascus. This is the real point at which we become dependent. 
dependent upon the Lord to give us direction, but also dependent upon other people to lead us. There's a phase, there's a state in our new life and in our life of fresh revelation of Jesus and encounters with Jesus, there is a point at which we get resurrection, we get the get up and go, we just don't know where to go. But two things have happened to us. Light has come to our eyes where we're not looking upon man. He saw no man because his eyes were dazed and dazzled and cauterized with cataracts in the natural because he saw the glorious light of heaven. And he had to have those cataracts taken off by prayer a few verses later. But he wasn't looking to people anymore. He's looking to Jesus. He's not looking for people. He's looking for Jesus. And yet he has a new dependence upon other people. And he has to be led by the hand, even to get into the city. And then comes a prophet, a little disciple named Ananias. But he has a prophetic word. He responds to the word of the Lord. And he comes and begins to tell Saul what God has for him. He also prays for his sight. And he instructs him to go be baptized. I think you've learned about baptism, haven't you? And probably have already been baptized. Well, Saul had to do that right at the start. Arise and be baptized, Ananias will say. But he's going to begin to speak prophetic words. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, go your way. For he, Paul, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me. And you are going to say this to him, that he will bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. Now, God reversed the order. Saul would always say to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But God said for Saul to the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. And then it says this, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name. He's going to show him where to go. He's going to show him what to do. And he's going to show him also how he will suffer for the name of Jesus. If you go over into chapter 22 and 26 when he's giving his own testimony, those two chapters as he's standing before kings and leaders, he will tell this story again. And then he will quote more of the prophetic words that were given to him and how he must turn men from darkness to light and from Satan to God and how he must go to the nations, etc. The prophetic word expands and then Jesus begins to talk to him directly every moment of every crisis Jesus is with him. You sang this morning, I am not alone. And this is what we know wherever we go, Jesus will be there. So it's who, and then it's what. And the third is how. You're going to learn to be led by others. And you're going to learn to have examples. I'm preaching short, so I'm closing my Bible. There's nothing that will be a greater gift to you than the people 
who are the examples to you of how to walk it out. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks to his son in the gospel, Timothy. A kid, we don't know how old, a young man that he picked up along the way on his journey, his second missionary journey. And he looked at that young man and he said, I want him to go with me. I want him to go with me. Tim's father was a Gentile. There's nothing to say that his father was a religious man. And certainly his father had not encouraged him in the Jewish faith. On Mother's Day, you usually hear about his mother and his grandmother who trained him in the scripture. And now God gave him a spiritual father who took him with him, mentored him. In the first book of Timothy, he's teaching him how to pastor a church. In the second book written to Timothy, letter written to Timothy, he's preparing him to take over Paul's ministry for the whole world. He's charging him to become responsible for the dispensation of the gospel. What kind of growth did Timothy go through? But what kind of growth has Saul gone through? We're all growing. And what you're doing today and what is happening here confirming you because you've studied the scriptures and you've learned what you believe. And Paul would say, it's not just what I believe. I know whom I have believed. It always comes back to who. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And yet it's important to know what you believe. And so when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he was talking about all the evil people and the deceivers and the seducers leading people away from the true gospel. But he said, but you, Timothy, because now Paul is his example, you, Timothy, you have fully, completely, totally known my doctrine. Say it with me. You have known my doctrine. Say it. You have known my doctrine. What's doctrine? The word doctrine comes from the word for teaching. Doctrine is what someone believes, but it's mainly what he teaches. What have I taught you? Now you completely know what I teach. But on the page, there's this much space between the word doctrine and my manner of life. You have fully known my doctrine. You know what I teach. But you have fully known the way I live it. I'm your example. Then he goes to speak of his purpose. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You know my charity, how love works through my life. And he goes on with a number of things, even the trials that I've gone through and the afflictions I've had. How would Timothy know that about Saul or Paul? Because he stayed with him. He watched him. He watched him go through. He said, remember the persecutions? Well, how would he know it? He goes ahead and says it. It happened in your hometown, Timothy. It happened where you live. I was dragged out of the city. 
and I was stoned. And I was left for dead. And everybody in your city knew what happened to me until some disciples, not apostles, not prophets, some disciples like the people in this church stood around me in a circle and lifed me. And I came back to life and I stood up, entered into the city. I was beaten, I was dragged, I was abrased by stones and cinders along the way. And I had been pelted with rocks to the point of death. But they lifed me. New life, church. New life, church. That's what the world does to people. That's what life does to people. But new life, church, is full of disciples who can stand around people who have been beaten to death and left for dead and put resurrection life into them. And he said, and I stood up because the instruction never changes. The process never changes. When you're down because you're down from falling off your high horse before Jesus arise. When you're sitting blind with eyes cauterized by the glory of God and a disciple comes and says, arise and be baptized. Or when you're out there in the ministry or out in the world beaten down and you're almost dead or left for dead. They thought he was dead. And disciples come and say, arise, get up, go on with life. Paul said, you know all of my afflictions, you know all my persecutions, you know all my trials, but you just don't know about the suffering. Are you listening to me? You also know how the Lord delivered me out of them all. You see, I want you to watch the lives of those who have taught you their doctrine. I understand you're actually going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which means you're going to believe the same thing that Peter and James and John and Philip and Thomas and those others believed. That's what you believe. But what's going to take you through life is whom you believe. And then watch the lives of those who have taught you. And if you find a big space between their doctrine and the manner of life, get another example. But I feel secure in recommending those who have taught you their doctrine. Watch their lives. I've been watching their lives for quite a few years, some of them. You can trust yeah, trust their example as long as they lead you to trust completely in Jesus. Let's pray together. Would everybody now extend your hands toward those that are here for a moment. Release the blessing of the Lord to them. The congratulations of the Spirit of God today that you have learned the doctrine. Now Paul says, it's the scripture. Hold fast to that, knowing from whom you have learned it. So we bless them today that they have learned it. And we ask now that that word would enter into them profoundly and get a grip on their lives. The scriptures, as Paul said to Timothy, you learned it from your mother and your grandmother, but you also learned it from me. And so now, 
folks, if you know where the people are that have been teaching these, extend your hand in their direction. I know the Landises and others were named here that have been teaching them. Bless those who have been teaching. Extend your hands toward your pastors, those who are teaching doctrine, and pray that they shall always be the example that can be followed, their purpose, their charity, their faith, their love, even the way they go through suffering, that deliverance comes by the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And now we pray that every one of these shall be as Timothy, where Paul said, now you can be an example of the believers in your lifestyle, in your faith, in your charity, in your speech, in your actions. You be the example for others to follow. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Thank you, Pastor.